It's good to be here this evening. It's, in fact, no better place could we be than to assemble, to worship our God in heaven, to appreciate the many blessings He's bestowed upon us and every spiritual blessing is in Christ. And as Brother Jonathan mentioned earlier in the announcements, we're so thankful that each of us have been able to assemble this evening. You may have noted in the bulletin, as well as on the wall to my left, that we'll be looking tonight at Satan's fall as it relates to lightning, and specifically that text that's noted there in Luke, the 10th chapter. If you would be turning to that back to that location, and we'll be reflecting somewhat on that here in just a moment. <clears throat> These opening remarks, it would be my hope that we might be able to use them to prompt us, or at least to move us in the direction for consideration of the lesson this evening. I suppose as we think about the Lord's statement, Jesus here said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And in that very context, it would do us well to appreciate again what it was that was a circumstance in which the Lord made that statement. He had just commissioned 70 of His disciples to go out and to, in fact, He gave them power to do a number of beautifully wonderful things in the name of the Master. You may notice in verses 1 and following of Luke chapter 10, that these, as they were prompted and able to go forth to do these mighty things, we notice that when they came back, verse 17 says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Jesus had sent them out, and He told them they would be as lambs among wolves. He told them that they would often, in fact, meet resistance, and He would meet those who would, in fact, oppose what they had to say. But yet they did go forth. And as they did so, they came back with a joyful attitude and said, Even the devils are subject unto us through your name. And as they made that statement, Jesus immediately replied, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. The Lord made this observation that he beheld something. He witnessed something. He had the privilege of observing this. Tonight, why don't you and I give some thought to appreciating the same thing. As we do that, the bottom of that slide leads us to note the following. The subject of demons, the matters touching what was it the Lord affirmed when He said He saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. It is true that all of that will come together as you and I study over the next few moments. These topics touching Satan himself, the band of demons that are followers of him, and what it was that Jesus affirmed on this occasion. So with it, let's turn to the next slide and proceed our journey to give some thought to the possession of demons. You'll notice again the very context before us was prompted by the disciples saying, even the devils are subject unto us. That's what prompted Jesus to say that He witnessed Satan fall as lightning from heaven. The opening comments on this slide are an immediate reminder that the King James Version especially uses the word devils and on occasion the word devil rather frequently. I would call to your attention the following, that the word diabolos, that first statement, notice it's in the singular. There is one master of the devils. He's the one you and I call Satan. He's the one we refer to as the devil. Again, it's in the singular, 
But on the other hand, the New Testament notices that there are many devils. Notice it's a completely different word in Greek. Diamion. Perhaps other translations do a fair justice in rendering that demons. So, whereas there are many demons, there is but one devil. There is but one master or chief of them. And didn't Jesus refer to him as Beelzebub on one occasion? It perhaps is in light of that, that the New Testament makes many references to these in terms of demon possession or possessed with devils, again, as the King James Version would render it. To think about that leads us to note some of these examples. Sixty-three times that plural word we noted a moment ago occurs, and fifty-seven times that singular one occurs. Again, easy to see that in those New Testament passages, we find many references to the work of the devil and to the work of those that are his messengers, those that are his emissaries. Surely, in light of those things, there are some who, perhaps you and I have noted, have used this very idea to attempt to discredit the Bible. In other words, they say, well, there no, can be no such thing as this. And because of that, these records that are so often found in the Word of God, some would attempt to use this and claim that makes the Bible no more than a fairy tale, no more than a storybook. But you and I, as believers in the Word of God, know that isn't so. There really was possession by demons. It really was an incident and a scene just as the Word of God presents it. As you and I will give some consideration, note this. I've selected just a few of the circumstances. But with that, I believe it will be enough to at least lead us to some concluding points. First of all, Jesus cast out demons. And if it's true that in some way the Lord didn't do it, then the Word of God is a liar. Consider these examples. In Matthew 9, verses 32 and following, we have the explicit record that Jesus, it says, exactly and without any delay, cast forth these demons from this demon-possessed individual. And in addition to that, in Matthew 17, verses 18 and following, Often these statements are used as glorification proofs of Jesus. In other words, they occurred at moments in which people were led to believe in Him as the Messiah, as the Son of God by virtue of these activities. In Mark 1.34, you may recall that fairly early in Mark's gospel account, the record is given of a scene in which, again, there was an individual who not only carried on conversation, but it was the demons who spoke with the Lord. It's rather fascinating to consider that text as it was at the bottom of the slide. It's easy to see that there were many instances then of these individuals who were possessed by one or more demons. Now, maybe you and I have often pondered or at least considered what was it like to have been possessed with a demon? Well, the Bible does have a number of things to say, and the next slide will take us into that direction. But with it, let's already begin to ponder some of these truths, some of these descriptives. First of all, to say that one was possessed with a demon, may we not cast aside this point, demons were spirits. In just the same way, then, as the devil was a spirit, 
so too, of course, were these messengers of His. These demons, if you please. To say that it, that was the case, you'll notice in Matthew 8, verse 16, as well as in Luke 24, verse 39, this statement is given, A spirit hath not flesh and bones. Now, as the Lord made that statement in that Luke passage, He highlighted that in reference to the nature of not only the, the character of, him, of human beings as, as spirits, but of course we tabernacle in the flesh. But a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. It is with that to be noted. Demons possessed a number of interesting qualities and characteristics. They were aware by that I mean they had a degree of self-awareness. They knew exactly where they were. They knew exactly what they were doing. It's not as if they actually were emissaries carrying out activities and things of which they were not aware. May I call to your attention that Mark 1.24 passage. It was in that case, again, when Jesus had reached the point of Capernaum that we find record that He cast out this demon. And as he did so, you'll notice the conversation that took place between him and the demon. Let me read a couple of those verses. Mark chapter 1, verse number 24. It says, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now notice a few of the statements that the demon made. I know who thou art. He was very much aware of who Jesus was, and he was aware of where he was, namely the demon. And he went quickly to say, Art thou come to destroy us? He knew what was going to happen at some moment. The demon had this knowledge. The demon had this degree of awareness. Not only that, in Acts 19.15, here after Jesus had of course long since ascended back to the Father, we have record of this scene in which there were individuals who themselves were empowered in order to cast out these demons. And you may remember again the demon made comment, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Notice again, the demon knew some things, and he knew some individuals. He knew those that were equipped with the very power of Jesus Christ, but he had no knowledge of the ones who were attempting to do these matters on that occasion. Aren't we immediately impressed then? These demons referred to in the New Testament were very much cognizant and aware, but not only that. You'll notice that they were able to assimilate facts and to draw conclusions. And in that sense, they were able to synthesize information. I'm reminded of that passage in James chapter 2. In verse 19 of that chapter, information is given about the nature of drawing conclusions and reaching warranted and matters of evidence. It says, in light of that, the devils believe and tremble. Now notice there, again, the word plural is the one that occurs. These were those demons. It says, they, in light of information, have been brought to tremble. They can assimilate information about the Son of God, the purity and greatness of the church, the attributes and character of what it's like to be a member of the body of Christ. 
And in light of the belief in Jesus as Son of God, these tremble. Now again, it seems to me we have every right to appreciate that in that New Testament age, we then come face to face with these demons, these beings who were able to know, to assimilate facts, to believe, and to tremble in light of their circumstance as disobedient ones to the Master. Let's tr proceed a little further. There's a rather extended conversation that took place between Jesus and a man possessed with demons in Mark chapter 5. This was that scene in which we each remember that He Himself was overwhelmed with not one demon but many. We remember the scene as Jesus carried on conversation with Him. In fact, they themselves said the name was Legion, for we are many. There were many demons in this poor individual. And we remember that He lived among the tombs. He cut Himself and they even bound Him with chains and He was able to break them with no trouble. This was a wild man. And the reason was the demons. Because isn't it amazing that once Jesus cast the demons out, remember they went into the herd of swine and the swine rushed violently off the cliff. But that man, after the demons were dispossessed from him, the man was in his right mind and fully clothed. What a transformation was made in that man with the casting out of the demons. Isn't it fascinating to ponder if you were there witnessing that event? As you and I give thought to it, we often recognize that that's recorded in more than one of the gospel accounts. He was that Gadarene demoniac as he serves as a prime example of then what took place in the casting out of those demons. May I ask that we remember our lesson text. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now we haven't moved aside far from that passage, but we will come full circle before the lesson is over this evening. Looking perhaps at the next one. Mark 12, verses 44 and following. Remind us that here the demons were very much in the capability of acting. That is to say, they could make decisions and pursue them. You remember the scene with me that here the Lord had cast out of a man a, an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit passed through a number of places and then he came back and he made the conscious Powerful act. He found his previous residence swept and garnished and said, I will go back in and I'll take more with me. Notice again, his intent to act and he carried it out. Isn't that interesting? These unclean spirits, you see, these demons, were very much spirit creatures who themselves were capable of conscious decision, capable of action. Let's read further. In Matthew 8, verse 29, we learn that these demons exhibited other qualities, namely both fear and trembling. Now earlier we highlighted somewhat about that as it says the devils believe and trembled. But here was an actual instance in which they in the very presence of Jesus exhibited these qualities Notice again, they were overwhelmed with fear, knowing exactly the power of the one standing before them, namely Jesus the Christ, and knowing fully well what He was capable of doing to them. You and I know sometimes about the element of fear as we think about what someone else can do to us. 
Here, these demons trembled in light of what they knew Jesus had the power to do. Already, you can gain the easy sense with me. As you'll notice at the bottom of the slide, these demons fully well knew they were beneath the power of Jesus. He had power to do with them whatever was His will. He could cast them out. He could allow them to remain. He could overwhelm them in a number of ways. They even themselves said, Art thou come to torment us before the time? They knew that He had the power to bring torment upon them and to do so at any moment. That thought alone was enough to cause them to fear, to tremble, and to be very much inquisitive as to begging Him, Send us somewhere else. Isn't it interesting? One more thing to be noted on that slide is the way the King James Version at least many times renders a description of these beings. They're called unclean spirits. Now, here too, before this evening, we've often used this word demons. But to refer to them as unclean spirits, may I ask that you and I note it as follows. The word in the original language carries the thought of uncleanness. It carries the thought of being vile. It carries the thought of being morally unkept. Surely in light of that, you'll notice that these often had very damaging qualities and characteristics. The person in whom they were possessing often behaved in very much inconsiderate or at least improper ways, sometimes unclothed, sometimes acting in ways that were harmful to another, sometimes behaving in fashions that were very much harmful to oneself. We remember the scene when that young boy was himself possessed with that spirit. He would fall down, throw him into the water. Well, all those things, again, were because of the unclean spirit. That unclean spirit, described in ways like you can see on that slide, leads us to ask, it would seem to me, a number of additional questions. <clears throat> Characteristics that we might well begin like this. So what were some of the effects? That is to say, in a more complete way, some of the consequences of being possessed with a demon. As we list some of these, again, please note I wouldn't claim this to be exhaustive. I've selected a number of the instances and used them to make the following comments. It produced a variety of physical as well as mental consequences. As you look at some of the following statements and consider them with me, might we begin as follows. As we've noted earlier, it was entirely possible for one demon to possess a person, but it was also possible for there to be more than one. And it would seem that more than one would lead to more egregious behavior, at least more severe and serious behavior. Does that that highlight the sadness of that person in whom not only did one come back, but he brought seven more just like him? The latter state, you see, worse in the beginning. It may be in light of those things, you notice again that there were legion of these things possessing that man living amongst the tombs in Mark chapter 5. And again, remember the very strange, the very odd, the very hurtful behavior that, that man exhibited. It might be in light of that that you'll notice the next statement. What were some of the behaviors? 
Now, I would ask you to notice, I use the word epileptic in a rather broad and general way because demon possession is not the same thing as epilepsy. And in fact, there are a number of differences, but in terms of behavior, some of the things that were perhaps shown might perhaps be like these. In Matthew 17, verses 14 and following, there's a scene where I would invite you to notice the description that the Holy Spirit has given us. It says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. So here was a father very much compelled and moved to beseech some assistance from Jesus. My son is sore vexed, he said. And as he proceeded to describe it, as a result of this, he often is thrown into the fire. Can you imagine as a parent watching your beloved son or daughter? Powerless they are to do anything about it and your son or daughter is cast into a dangerous fire or maybe even into water. Are you fearful that he or she might drown? Well, you would be, almost certainly, especially if that water is sufficiently deep. And yet here you'll notice that the adjective, the description used is, verse number 15, he is lunatic. Now other translations will render that epileptic. But again, please notice the adjective is being used in a rather broad and general way. It is not claiming that epilepsy is this. It's again very different. Another example would be that text in Mark 9, 14. Now some of these sister passages will in fact present rather similar circumstances. But this text in Mark chapter 9, it says, And when He came to His disciples, He saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with Him. And straightway all the people, when they beheld Him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him, and he asked the scribes, What question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not." Now here again, as Mark has given us some slightly different wording, we notice that this person is describing a spirit that's called dumb. But you'll notice the spirit had many things it was able to do. It caused foaming at the mouth. It caused gnashing of teeth. It caused him to be torn. And the text says that it dasheth him to pieces. Can you imagine a person being thrown onto the ground as if some large wrestler is casting him about on the ground and there's nothing the person was able to do about it? It was an overwhelming force. This unclean spirit had that kind of effect, at least in some instances. You may notice that on occasion great strength was manifested by those possessed with this. Again, may I call to your attention that scene in which chains had been used to bind the one possessed with legion 
and yet he was able to break those chains asunder. That would be impressive. It would also be very fearful. Can you imagine walking near that region of Gadara and seeing a man like that? Wouldn't you try to protect your children? Wouldn't you run from him in fear for what he might do to you? I think we all would perhaps be motivated to do that. Demon possession was a very serious thing. As you come near the bottom of that slide, in Matthew chapter 12, on another occasion, an unclean spirit caused blindness as well as unable to, uh, the inability to speak. I say all of these things to say that there wasn't just one single thing that demon possession could cause. For some, it was great strength. For others, foaming at the mouth. The others, tor being torn about as we've just described. For others, blindness or perhaps the inability to speak. To say all of that is to say that the Word of God makes a clear distinction between demon possession and physical disease. In Mark 1.32, when description was given about how that many brought friends or neighbors or other acquaintances to Jesus to be healed, in that listing there is given both diseases and demon possession. They are distinguished. They are not the same thing. Perhaps in light of that, we'll close that slide to note this. The seriousness and the urgency that seemingly characterize this demon possession perhaps causes us to ask a number of additional questions, or at least a number of additional matters to be raised. As we noted earlier, Jesus Christ had absolute control over these demons. He could cast them out at will. He could, in fact, send them into the abyss. He could present them to torment immediately. And they knew it. Would you ponder with me a moment about the grandeur and greatness then of what the demons knew? There were individuals on earth, human beings, who didn't have the same degree of knowledge that the demons had. There were people who would reject Jesus. There were people who would in fact ignore Him and even try to kill Him. And yet the demons knew exactly who He was and how much power He had. In many ways, isn't that a sad reflection of the foolishness of human beings sometimes? The demons know far more, and they tremble because of it. In addition to that, might you notice, as you and I study the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see so many instances and cases of demon possession. What about the other 62 books of the Bible? Do we see much of it prior to Matthew? Do we see much of it after John? That's a great question. In fact, as you search through the Old Testament, few and far between will be any direct references to demon possession. You just don't seemingly find it. After you close the book of John, we do read about some of it in the book of Acts, admittedly. And we noted a case earlier in Acts chapter 19. But once you close the book of Acts, few and far between are the references you find thereafter. Doesn't that highlight or at least cause us to appreciate that this demon possession should be able to teach us a number of rather valiant and valuable lessons because of its timing? Let's try to develop some of that this way. As our Savior demonstrated absolute and complete authority over these demons, perhaps that alone is a gigantic truth and a powerful lesson. 
it illustrated very clearly to those present and living at the time that there is a power greater than these demons. And it's that man I see, Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He is from heaven. He has at His disposal all the power of heaven. And these demons are no match for Him. And since these demons are the emissaries of the devil, the devil is no match for Him. It was that very argument that was used more than once in the gospel accounts. Could I invite you to notice... In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And that statement implies that there was no power withheld from Him. All power over physical things like weather, physical forces of nature, the forces of physics and otherwise, the Lord had complete control over all of them. And He had exhibited it on more than one occasion. Didn't He Himself walk on the water and give Peter the power to do the same in Matthew 14? Didn't Jesus Himself instantly calm a raging storm in Mark chapter 4? While He Himself, He had just been asleep on that same boat. You see, the Lord had complete power over all of those things. And not only those physical things, spiritual things like these demons, they were no match for the Master when He cast them into that herd of swine. We remember that their power was such that they caused those swine to drown themselves, to commit suicide, if you please. Isn't it interesting to contemplate the sheer magnitude of the Master's power, even over them? Doesn't that give us a highlight as to what's coming at the day of judgment? When every creature of human character that has ever lived is going to meet judgment and there will be this tremendous reality known as hell awaiting. And the Lord has power to cast there and not only human beings. We know the dragon and we know all of the, those who are his followers according to Revelation 19 and 22 will be cast there. Let's march a little bit more forward. In Luke 10, verse 18, back to our lesson text. These disciples joyfully made the observation, even the demons are subject to us through your word, through your name. It would seem as though when these messengers, these disciples came back and made that observation, they were overwhelmed with greatness. They were overwhelmed with tremendous consideration. You'll notice they used the word even. Now they had been able to heal the sick and they had been able to do other things. But it seems they were particularly impressed with the capability that was then theirs through the power of Jesus to cast out these demons. It was in response to that that Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Satan had been able through these demons to... Hold a great club, if you please, over the human family. Demons could come into a person. They could possess him or her. And in so doing, they could cause such terrible behaviors, such physical harm, such maladies, if you will. But Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. His days are numbered. He's not going to be able to do that much longer. The Lord used a figurative representation to say that just like one might witness lightning fall 
as representative of the emergence of this power, the power to withhold him and the power to, in fact, stop that is soon going to be manifested. And I beheld him fall as lightning. As you and I think then about the restriction on the power of the devil, and as you and I give thought to this matter of demon possession, many through the ages have wondered, is this still possible? Is demon possession still something that might occur? Some might even argue that it's not common, but can it occur at all? As you and I come near the close of that slide, the New Testament is rather clear and may I say rather buoyant as it reminds all of us who are believers and obedient to the Word of God of the great promise that's ours as we think about the fact that Jesus Christ has overwhelmed the devil. Could I call to your attention 1 John 3 verse 8? The Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. You see, the Old Testament as it set forth that which so often was the case, mankind's guilty of sin. The children of Israel did it. Even the great patriarchs of old... Even they, like Abraham, were guilty of sin. David was guilty of it, and yea, so too were all the others. And yet, we know the wages of sin is death. Now, death is a tremendous club that the devil had access to. But yet, Jesus came and took that club right out of his hand. Oh, it's true that we'll die physically if the Lord delays His coming. But you and I know as those who are faithfully obedient to the Master, the second death is not ours. Only the first one. You see, the Bible describes this beautiful second resurrection, this glorious and final resurrection, not a second death. That's reserved for those, you see, who like the devil and like his legion of those that have chosen to follow him will be cast aside from God. Aren't you thankful for, for descriptions like these? And didn't Jesus Himself say, in that text wherein, as we mentioned earlier, reference to Beelzebub was made, there were some of His day who entered into conversation with Jesus, and they in fact described Him in such a way that really does hit the point home at this point in our sermon. Jesus said, a house divided against itself shall not stand. Now, more than one of our presidents have actually made reference to that as a part of his inaugural presentation. You may remember Abraham Lincoln referred to it when in the midst of the Civil War. He said, a house divided against itself won't stand. And he admonished our nation to be drawn together in unity and fortified to fight a common enemy but not to be divided against itself. As you and I think about how Jesus used that same phrase, though, He said, If I, by the power of Satan, cast out Satan, then what sense is that? But rather, if I, by the power of God, cast out Satan, then you must know that the kingdom of God is among you. Wasn't the Lord sharp in His logic? Wasn't He analytic in His presentation? And it was in that very context when He said, a stronger than the strong man is here. No man can bind a strong man and spoil his goods unless he's stronger than the strong man. 
he made reference to this strong man who was in fact known as Beelzebub. That's again that devil. And the Lord quickly affirmed one stronger than him is among you. And aren't we thankful? That devil, as powerful as he has been, is such that today his power is restricted. He's not able to possess with demons like he once did. That day's gone. There's no longer access to that. No one today is afflicted with that, with that malady, with that kind of behavior. Now, there are many people who are diseased and sick and many people who suffer a number of physical ailments and problems and some of them very seriously mental. But it's still not the same as demon possession. As you and I have noted in these instances of demon possession, these demons could carry on conversations separate and apart from the person, him or herself. And that isn't happening today. Surely in fairness to those things, near the bottom of that slide, that utter and complete power that the Master exhibited over them brings us to this slide as well. The Old Testament had itself prophesied that there was going to come a time when that capability of possession by demons would no longer be. It's in the little book known as Zechariah, and in the 13th chapter of that book, a reference is made to a circumstance in which that, though it would occur, would no longer at one point be available. It's almost as if you and I could reason it like this. There was no demon possession in the Old Testament as we have seen it in the New. But with the coming of Jesus and John the Baptist and those apostles and the very power of God manifested in Christ, demon possession was a means that God allowed to occur by which the truth of Jesus could be manifested. The certainty that the Son of God had come would be seen and confidence that the power of God was available then. In other words, it was a confirmation matter that things were of God. But once everything was confirmed and once those last apostles were dead, no longer was there any access to demon possession. That time was limited and it no longer occurs today. It might be in light of those things, you and I can notice this line of consideration as well. Could you think with me in the following way? It required a miracle to cast out these demons. And since the age of miracles has passed, that leads us to again to conclude that there's no longer this demon possession either. What would it say about texts like 1 John 4 verse 4? Where there we read, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now again, if there was demon possession today, who among us would have the power? to cast out those demons, for we can't work the miracles. Paul, by inspiration, said that age passed in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10. I suppose in light of those things, the last statement on that slide, notices again that things like demon possession are described in words like these, and it's very telling. The last paragraph in the book of Mark, it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 
So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord, working with them and confirming the word with signs following. You'll notice that reference to casting out demons is included in a list that's described as what was available to confirm the word. And so once the word was confirmed and that which was perfect had come, other things like demon possession no longer were possible. Tonight, as we've studied it, no wonder Jesus said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He knew this power that Satan had was only going to be resident for a little while. And then it would no longer be. You and I live 19 centuries this side of those events. But yet we see in it manifestation that provides us confidence and assurance that Jesus was the Son of God. There should be no doubt in our mind about that. And don't you want to be a faithful servant of His? Don't you want to in fact live faithful to Him knowing that then upon that faithful living you can die in the Lord and go home to glory? Tonight as we close this particular lesson... And do so with these concluding words. We've seen a few things that I'll try to summarize and highlight in the following way. Demon possession was a reality, but it is not a reality now. We notice that Jesus had complete power over these. The effects were rather serious in most cases. And you'll notice that those effects as are described in the New Testament are rather distinct and different from that circumstance that some claim to relate to demon possession today. Tonight, are you a faithful Christian then? Do you serve the one who had the power to cast these demons out and who overruled them? If not, you need to be. You need to turn your life over to Him for just as surely as He had power over them, He'll have power to lead you to heaven too. If tonight we could be of assistance to anyone in any way that the New Testament describes as coming in answer to His invitation, realize it might be as an alien sinner, one who has never become a Christian. If you know wrong from right and know Jesus died for you, you know that you must believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, and confess His name and be baptized, and we'd be honored to assist you tonight. If you have become a Christian, though, and maybe you have become persuaded by others of certain things that aren't so. Tonight, why not put your faith on the firm foundation of the Word of God? Come back to your first love. Beseech us to pray to God for you, and we'd be honored to do it. If tonight anyone would have a need to respond publicly, don't delay, but come at once while together we stand and while we sing.